Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple. And this week, I talked to Nicole Johnson, the founder and creative director of the Harriet Tubman Effect. Now, if you have never heard of the Harriet Tubman Effect or are newer to the work that they do, it is a human resource center and institute for justice advocacy research meant to dismantle systemic oppression and usher in a new era of empathy by producing participatory action research, human resource initiatives, and reallocating wealth to black and brown DEI consultants and researchers across American industries. Nicole will get more into the nitty-gritty of what all of this means and how it all works in our episode, but I wanted to give a bit of context before you just dive right in. Nicole also shares her journey towards diversity, equity, and inclusion work and how important it is to be rooted in core values while dismantling systemic oppression. She emphasizes the importance of community and the prevention work needed to assess and address systems and build out policy. We talk about being committed individually to shifting our behavior and working on self-accountability so that people we touch can collectively change in the industry. And Nicole breaks down the five steps of Edify, the dismantling systemic oppression program she created that is designed to shift culture in institutions, schools, and artistic organizations. We also talk about the significance of going inwards, using meditation as a tool, and the value of grace. Nicole shows up so available and vulnerable and unbelievably graceful in the way in which she has this conversation. I am endlessly grateful to her for the time that she gave to even have this conversation. And it is one of the pillars upon which this podcast and community was formed. If you are somebody who is hoping to be the change or contribute to the change in yourself, in your community, in the industry, in the world, this episode is for you. Enjoy. Hi, Nicole Johnson. How are you? Hi. <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Oh my God. So grateful to be here. So pumped for this conversation. Before we dive on in, for those listeners who do not know who you are, what you do, all those things, who are you today? Yeah. Well, today, I am very excited to get closer to my vacation. I will say that. I am a, mm -hmm. uh, I think, a busy bee, I think, all of the time when it comes to my diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And today I'm in that space where I need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and um, setting a time aside for me to really get grounded again. So that's my honest answer to your question. But yes, I also please. am a diversity, equity, inclusion director across theater um, in regional Broadway and in executive kind of administrative settings. I also am a consultant across other industries like corporate, higher ed, K through 12, houses of worship. And I am the founder of Harriet Tubman Effect, which is a research institute that focuses on dismantling systemic oppression. That's a little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, clearly you're not doing any important work whatsoever on a daily basis. So <laughs> clearly none. <laughs> to occupy your time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think it's really useful to also say the, the other things about me that I am a writer and a creative and a ukulele player and um, yes. things that should have really been at the forefront. But it's so interesting that work always seems to be the way that we introduce ourselves. So I thought yeah. I would start there. Yeah, that's why I always ask the who are you today? Because I feel like it's a choose your own adventure, you know, and eventually people are like, oh, no, but wait, also this is actually more of who I am today. I'm drinking tea. I'm, you know, like I walked my dog, whatever it was. And 
then it's a bit of a reminder, hopefully, to be like, I'm also a full-fledged human being who's living and breathing <laughs> on this planet. Yeah. You know? Thanks for that. Appreciate of it. Of course. Oh my gosh. Always. Um, I'm curious about how you have ended up in this space um, very prominently, you know, in terms of like the work that you do as opposed to just being incorporated in other parts of your life. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting journey. I think particularly in the past three years, things have expedited. So I definitely wasn't in this exact positioning, you know, before the pandemic and the pandemic is a large part of my success story to tell you the truth. But mm -hmm. I started off as an ensemble dancer and, and I did lots of regional productions right out of high school. And I was also a student at NYU at the same time, studying ethics and social entrepreneurship while I was working. And I was really actually frustrated with the tension between my ethics degree and the work that I was doing on regional contracts and the difficulty in just recognizing the caste system that yeah. so existed in 2010. And, you know, I, you can imagine before my time as like an ensemble, like regional theater non-union kid, um, probably much worse for others before me, but I was having a really large struggle reconciling the ethics and morality and the aspirations I had for myself and my workplaces with the reality of my gigs where I was making like $250 a week on like rigged stages and stuff yeah. like that, where your body is just falling apart at 19. Mm -hmm. And um, so I finished college in like 2014, my undergrad, and did one more tour and was like, before, like literally I remember at my graduation saying, you're gonna go do this tour because I remember not being able to experience my graduation because I had to leave right after. And that sounds like so, like such a privileged thing to be like, you booked a tour and then you had to like, you were feeling all weird about it. But I was all like, I was having a hard time. I was all like, I had just completed this degree around ethics and social entrepreneurship. Now I'm gonna go on this tour that I know I'm not in, my body is not ready for and I am mm. not entirely excited about the culture that I might step into or perhaps I didn't even know what I was gonna step into. But I told myself, as I was leaving graduation, I was like, you're, that's going to be it. This is going to be the end of wow. your, you're not going to do it. And so I left the industry wow. after that tour. And I went to work in city government. I started for the department for the aging, working with um, friendly visiting coordination, where I would bring um, volunteers to elder adults homes in hopes of just supporting them. And I even had a a relationship myself during that time with an older adult in my neighborhood. And then I moved on to work for Bill de Blasio's administration in the Department of Health and the um, Community Affairs Office, focusing on mental health, made my way to Department of Ed. And all while I was doing a lot of work with my own nonprofit, which was called MOVE, Motivating Opportunity Vision Entertainment, and supporting young people in creating art that is socially responsible, that addresses social issues creatively, um, and I was really loving that, that charge in my mm -hmm. life. Honestly, I really did love it. Um, and I decided right before the pandemic that I was going to go back into the theater industry as a director of operations at a musical theater studio where huh. I experienced the most amount of like racial gaslighting and, um, bigotry and other forms of just like social workplace pressures. Um, while I was working there through the George Floyd murder, Oof. 
as the only black person in a predominantly white office for predominantly white musical theater students. And it's the thing that broke me entirely in the middle of the pandemic, working seven days a week. Um, And when I left that job, it kind of birthed this relationship with Harriet the figure. Harriet Tubman has like served as a historical figure that I do a lot of research um, around her strategy and her courage. And it activated the building of the nonprofit or uh, the nonprofit arm and the for-profit arm of Harriet Tubman Effect, which now is my main go-to every day. And I work <sighs> there with some great researchers. It's a it's a pretty ridiculous, but it feels it feels good to be at this part of the story now. Where, yeah, you know. But I think context is so helpful, especially when it comes to this kind of work, because it it usually and hopefully stems from a place of hardcore values (laughs) because to do it on a daily basis is it's a heavy lift I can only imagine and to not really be grounded in why you keep going back and the like the need and the desire and the want which I imagine is also desperately heavy at times if you don't have that somewhere inside you then it does become a form of work without without it having meaning and then it just becomes another job which is not what this is. Yeah, the values. I mean, our core values, resisting white supremacy culture, researchers learning, creating relevant work, um, activating a culture of empathy, and then reallocating wealth. Literally, because I use those as a CEO, as like a young Black female cis, um, you know, CEO, it's very transforming because you recognize the amount of white supremacy that is inside your body, the white supremacy culture of perfectionism and defensiveness and power hoarding. And so as I make decisions and I have to call myself back to those values and I tell my the story about why these are the values we chose so that we could pretty much conjure up the Harriet Tubman effect in modern day. um, It's such a fun challenge every day. There's every single thing I do as a leader. I'm like, wait a second, let me go back to that value. Let me hold yeah. myself accountable. Um, and then I just see it transform so many people around me. Um, so I think if anything, it it feels like it's like this huge adventure that is in front of me to hold these values and then to try to bring them to life every day. It feels like it's like, it's called, you know what? It's the ultimate swing journey for me because I used yeah. to be a swing. Okay. And I, and I love a good like challenge. And so I feel like this is my version of swinging in many ways. I love that. I love, I love all of this so, so, so much. Um, For those listening, obviously you like mentioned it in passing, but let's talk a bit more about what the Harriet Tubman effect as an organization does, how it's worked thus far, maybe perhaps like what you are hoping that it can continue to become so that we have context as we continue developing into this conversation. For sure. So yes, the Harriet Tubman Effect Institute is a institute for participatory action research and reallocation of to black and brown diversity, equity and inclusion leaders. Our goal is primarily to dismantle systemic oppression across American industries through those values, resisting white supremacy culture, research is learning, creating relevant work, activating a culture of empathy, and then reallocation of wealth. Um, We are such a heady organization. We spend a lot of time thinking Uh, But our research and our resources are communal in that instead of the unsustainable way of 
going in as an individual to a Broadway show to simply be the only person who is trying to act DEI in a space. We then instead, the communal aspect asks us all to come together, lots of bring identities and research lines to help a particular organization or industry navigate their journey in dismantling systemic oppression. There's about 45 to 50 um, HTE researchers, they're called justice advocates, who are fellows who are Black and brown people who are working within predominantly white institutions, and then founders, people like me, who have the quality of life of several people underneath our leadership. All of us come together to strategize around things weekly. We offer resources, we offer classes, activities, and events, but then sometimes we literally activate diversity, equity, and inclusion stops in the midst of an institution as people are experiencing violent workplace conditions. So mm -hmm. we've, get, we've gotten called in for a lot of things, um, but the goal really is to dismantle systemic oppression. So obviously there are so many pathways that we could go down yeah. with our work and our power. Yeah. So is it a chicken or the egg in this situation? Do people reach out to you all and say, hey, I'm mounting a Broadway show. Uh, we want you to come in while we're doing table reads to talk about this and create a space. Is it more like, hey, I know y'all are coming down the pipeline. I see that this tends to be a team that I wonder if you could benefit from this when you start this process. Would would you mind that we come in? What is the order right. and is there an order? Yeah, there is. I can say there's a direct order, but I will say I get called in majority of the time. Now, I say that it when I'm responding to that question in particular, I am a diversity, equity, inclusion director, apart from my relationship to Harriet Tubman Effect, where I am a founder. It's an egalitarian space. So there are 15 founders and then maybe about 20 um, justice advocates and then, you know, the rest of us are fellows. Um, and it's a growing community, right? Because there are people who are not at the core just yet, but are in other parts of our programming. Um, but nonetheless, as a founder at Harriet Tubman Effect, I am just a part of a larger community of people who are trying to help several industries navigate dismantling systemic oppression with our resources. But in my separate work as a diversity, equity, inclusion director, I work just like a director would on Broadway or a, you know, a PT you know, a physical therapist on Broadway, or um, I'm trying to think of other roles, a choreographer on Broadway, right? People mm -hmm. will literally just call me because of the fact that you worked on this other show. Can you jump on ours? I have not done much, in my opinion, in the past two years, I have not done much outreach on my own app. Yeah, I um, imagine. <laughs> people are just calling me. It's, it's very cool, though, to get a call from a random theater in the middle of, like, you know, Virginia saying, hey, I got your number from someone else. Would you be Good. open to jumping on with us? Um, but when it comes to our very intensive programs, like our New World program that holds people accountable on a weekly basis, we do have to do a lot of outreach. Um, we have to okay. say, hey, are you interested in a committed program that's going to hold you accountable to shifting your behaviors and your systems? This is what it entails. Would you like to join us? So it depends on the resource. I know a lot of people are looking for that reactionary stuff, though, like yeah. Broadway shows need a DEI person these days. And so that's why yeah. I think it's so easy for me to get the call. Yeah. Well, that is the thing that I, I guess I want to understand because, and this is touchy, but here we are. We are in a culture right now where, for better or for worse, people are at least more aware 
that like DEI as a thing needs to be incorporated, which is wonderful because at least the conversation is now starting in a way that it should have started and or never had the needed to begin with, but that's whatever. So with that said, how do we hold spaces accountable that whether systemically or whatever it has been, like has been held in these um, antiquated ways Um, for so long that it requires a lot of undoing and relearning. How do we hold that when so many people are A, on different parts of their journey through understanding what this all means, B, have experienced like different lives and intersectionalities in that. And then they're all, you know, congregating in said space to share said hopefully safe space. How do you navigate I mean, that's literally your job. So, I mean, like, I imagine there's yeah. many ways, but like, yeah. how does one do how it's the accountability part? I think is the part that I just keep in my brain coming back to because I, a lot of it just feels um, like lip service. Yeah. And how do we separate the, the efforts from the tactile, tangible shifts? Right. Well, I will say that this particular industry might have gone under the radar for diversity, equity, and inclusion a lot longer than other industries. DEI has been around in other spaces. Um, There are leaders who have had my role as part of their HR responsibilities. I think we decided to not have a human resource part of our industry whatsoever. Therefore, there was never any kind of conversation about DEI because everyone's like, you know, this is family and these are the people I love. And there's just this culture, um, which was dangerous. I think then our bubble burst in a very interesting way in 2020. And accountability, and I'll be very honest, feels more like a 10th grade thing. And we are working in second and third grade when it comes to this industry. People liken, or I liken my work to being a second or third grade, first grade teacher. I'm very graceful um, and not like nice aesthetically. I'm talking about like the grace I offer people, you You know, I offer a lot of people grace because I, uh, I focus on the neuroscience of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I didn't mention that I'm currently navigating my PhD at NYU in educational theater. Yes. Okay. You do nothing with your time. Oh my God. No. So I do a little that, um, but I'm focusing on the neuroscience of diversity, equity, and inclusion and behavioral change. Um, and sustainability, honestly, in our ability to keep showing up for the work. And you have to really figure out what's happening in your body. It's a full body experience to hold yourself accountable to a shift. It's like you're reckoning with your identity, with your history, with your imagination or lack thereof imagination, with your ability to understand your windows of influence and the people around you. And then of course, your impact, like what message you're actually sharing, what values you have, and then your initiative, like, how am I going to keep it going? Yeah. All of those things are a part of our like personal psyche. It's about our mind, body, our spirit. And so I spend a lot of time there with people in this industry because the large scale systemic shifts like building in a human resource center or a human resource department for any of our history or the issues around retention in hiring, the issues around uh, just basic basic clarity and equity 
a role of finances, transparency, just like all of those things there are like no systems. I will say that there are systems, but they're kind of like this very formal, yeah, this is just how we're going to do it. And we're going to put it together right. and then it's going to keep transforming over the years. And then all of a sudden, no one knows how to navigate accessible ticketing at the box office because no <laughs> one has ever really thought about building a system for it. Other industries have actively sought to like build upwards. So they have to build systems extremely like with intention. Whereas we, I think we're building a lot of this, we're, we're artists, so we're like growing together and they're like, how do you just get things? Yeah. So it's, it's um, I feel like to answer the question, and we could have answered it in so many ways, my job is certainly to be a, a diversity, equity, inclusion director in these spaces that I assess the systems that are in place. Sometimes I build new systems like my accessible ticketing initiative or like affinity groups within a workspace, right? Or I build out policy and I help people walk through that policy, navigate building surveys around COVID interest and like what people want to do backstage. I build a lot of systems. I maintain a lot of systems. And um, are you building these specifically for what for, is of need for these projects or these yeah. people? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, the earlier I can get in, the better, right? So right. there's a show like, so I'm, I'm on Sweeney now. We're in much earlier talks because I've worked with this team before and, and we all have decided we're going to start earlier than we normally do. Mm -hmm. Whereas normally people are like, the show's starting next week. Do we get everything? Okay, let's just jump in. But the prevention work is what I do because I need to build some systems. All that being said, as an industry, we don't have larger accountability outside mm -hmm. of like, you know, even our larger institutions, Broadway Association, Broadway League, American Theater Wing, they are not governing the community. Even if some people feel that they are the top of our community. So therefore, people are just kind of walking around ungoverned or unsupported because, you know, people don't like sometimes to be governed. But I'm like, no, it would be really useful if we had some understanding of who we are to one another. Yes. So there's a big, it's a big, there's things that I do that are directly from program of the work I'm doing, like directly at the show. And then there are policy changes that I'm seeking to shift so that we have some greater shared language. And then there's sometimes just like straight up individual saving people from horrible conditions, right? So you wish, I wish there was a job description for what I do. <sighs> yeah, it's just, it's such an, I mean, it's such an individualized mm -hmm. situation, you know? And I think for me, it's just like, as I, as I, you know, from where I sit, just like looking at so many broken things, it's like, how do we fix the things that are broken and the people that have been harmed and just like how do we make sure or try to ensure that that doesn't happen again and just I think the word accountability is the only one that I can like I, I think to go to but it's also like yeah if you don't have a governing body in any capacity that oversees all these structures it really is a free-for-all and like within each individualized project, project. it's just yeah it's just so complicated. So. It is. And that's why I think I say, you know, instead of like, how do we hold the entire industry accountable? I think it's very much about being present in the thing that you are connected to right now, your window of influence, the people who are around you, the situations that are around you, right? If we're all committed individually to shifting our own behavior and the people and the things that we touch, we will then collectively change the industry. For right now, it's like, 
I'm, I'm about the individual because if I can help several individuals advocate for themselves, work on their self, work on how they articulate themselves, how they hold themselves accountable to values, right? We're like literally activating a movement that might shift and hold the larger system city of New York who is responsible for our mental health. Like that is a governing body that could be helping us. We might get to enough shared to figure out together that we need that governing body. But it's the culture versus the system thing. Right. That if we put a system in place that this industry would culturally be ready. A lot of people are still very much living the life that has been beneficial for them in this industry. And everyone's like, yeah, I really want that change. But I'm like, actually, I'm pretty sure that that change is going to ask you to sacrifice. I have to like start acting differently. Um, so I think, you know, the culture work and the individual work is start and probably where I will be for a very long time. And mm -hmm. that's kind of like what second and third grade teachers do. They just spend a lot of time with you as an individual. It's like, don't worry about those larger scale problems right now. I just want you to like figure out how to say please and thank you and engage in a conversation <laughs> with your friend and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Wow. Okay. So let's go to the individual then. Um, yeah. How or what are some tools or if you were to, if I was a student of yours, a second grader that you were speaking to, how or what might you say to me to begin my journey of hopefully starting to improve the way in which I communicate and show up and advocate and um, be a better ally or whatever I, my mission is in this particular right. moment? What are some of these things that I could might maybe do? And you can yeah. totally talk to me like a second grader or first grader <laughs> if I need to be demoted. That's totally cool. No, totally. Second graders are the coolest. But then I yeah. also want to make sure that no one feels demeaned by that understanding of being someone in a lower grade. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. there's something about second grade and this work, honestly, that is so adventurous and there are not huge rules and your homework is not horrible, but it does require you to focus on yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and understanding your awareness, right? It's like, I think it's like interesting that metaphor of second grade is very much like it's the first time that you are responsible for your homework, maybe a little bit yeah. more. You're responsible for yourself, responsible for maybe getting a signature from your parents or your parent to come in, right? Um, I think the first thing is really to understand your identity. This is um, the five steps I'm going to share are from our Edify curriculum, which is the curriculum that I'm pretty well known for. My friend Belen Moyano um, has been such an outstanding collaborator. Both of us left that workplace that I think was pretty tragic for us. Um, and we kind of like birthed this curriculum and it's called Edify. It comes with a phone app that's available on iOS and um, Android. And you could look it up for it's like the Harriet Tubman Effect app. But Edify is the curriculum. Five steps for dismantling systemic oppression, your first thing is to know that your identity is in fact probably the largest component of your advocacy story. People are always like, oh, what about that community? Do I need more of that community? I'm also like, you really need information about yourself. Where did you grow up? What are your prejudices? What are your, what's your unconscious bias? How are you working on your vocabulary? What do you know? What do you do not know? All of those things are essential and it comes in the form of reflection and writing. Um, I love a good morning pages, right? Of just like throwing all of your thoughts onto the page. What's a moment in, in my history that I am proud of when it comes to my ad and one that I'm not so proud of, right? Who are the people that are close to me 
as I look around, is there intersectionality in the people that I've connected with? Do I, am I working with like a bit of like a homogenous group of friends, of family, of coworkers? There's some self-awareness work in your identity. You know, being able to engage in self-reflection around how your inter your identity intersects with the identity of a marginalized community um, is the most important part of that step, which then leads you to imagination and understanding what you know, what you don't know, the questions you need to be asking specifically about your marginalized community that you perhaps want to advocate for, but also about yourself. What are some things that you just have not spent enough time unpacking about the way that you behave in a workplace, about why you are in this industry in the first place, about why you want to hold particular values? You got to engage in your imagination. And then it's about influence, taking all of that lovely information from identity and imagination and understanding that you have a window of influence around you that is specific to you. How are you going to use those windows of influence when you cultivate your impact or your very clear messaging of the like, I am interested in bringing more resources for accessibility in a workspace. I'd like to support the deaf and hard of hearing community, the visually impaired and blind. And as a director, I actually want to incorporate understanding of these communities in all parts of the process, right? That's your like impact, right? Mm -hmm. But then it's about your initiative, your last step. How do I keep it moving? How do I like not just do it for this show, but make sure that I have all the resources and the people and the information I need to make it sustainable in my workplaces every time I go to another show, right? And I feel like that is the way I don't speak to second graders like that, but I speak to second grade adults in this work like that, <laughs> where I say, if you can engage with those five steps on a consistent basis and make it a rhythm, you're going to be kind of excavating, you're breaking down all the cognitive frames in your body that have been withholding or making you hesitate when it comes to the work. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes we forget that your relationship with yourself literally can hinder your impact. Mm -hmm. um, and that might be the beginning, but then there's a lot of grace and a lot of stories that I tell about other people who have done it, people in our history, people who are doing it now, that help to kind of encourage you, make you feel good about the fact that you're deciding to step into those five steps um, and that it can become like just a part of the way that you go about your life, just like yeah. being that much more aware of your ability to make change. Yeah. These are so helpful. Are you suggesting in an ideal world that every morning, say with your morning pages, you have these questions and you are rechecking in with yourself on a daily basis of like the needle is moving very, very small in this way, but at least I'm aware and checking in that this is where I'm working or this is how, this is the area that now I'm going to have to focus on or this I need to cultivate more. So on like a daily basis. Yeah. And I think it's more so of certainly that, but I would be in community with people who can check you first. It's great. Do all of that work in community. So a lot of people did the workshops throughout the quarantine and then everyone decided to go back to work. So I was surprised at how many people in positions of power had not continuous work after the initial kind of awakening. Um, I knew that it was gonna be trendy for some people, but I didn't expect the people that I have now been interacting with in this industry. I was all like, wow, I didn't expect it to be that much of a fall off. 
Um, or I thought that you all had, would have at least gone to another class beyond the first one that you did or beyond the first two or three. So I think it's about being in community, about having an accountability partner, about knowing that there are lots of options for you to keep tapping in so that you're not just with yourself. You got to be held accountable in a very intentional way. And you can only do that with someone else who's all like, what are your values? Okay, I'm going to hold you accountable to those. You need to be in community around it. Yeah. I think that is perhaps um, many people's form of like part of resistance for it, which is like it does feel really overwhelming, right? Because how can I as one person dismantle all these things? And I I love the idea of bringing it back to yourself of we all do have a circle of influence. We all do have a community. We've all come from somewhere. And in a power of numbers moment, if every single person in an ideal world is going into their own sphere and seeing where that exists, and then you are able to come together in a way to – Exactly. start to expand from that, it is a ripple effect. Um, and I think that's such a helpful shift so that it doesn't go from this macro level. It it does. It starts with you. I know for myself, I, you know, I, I can get really overwhelmed with I want to fix it all. And then it feels yeah. like a form of paralysis. And it's like, well, what is the first step? And this yeah. idea to just go take some reflection of who you are, what do you believe? Who do you know? <laughs> who are you surrounding yeah. yourself with? All of those things is just a baseline and then go and expand to the other four steps from that I think is is such a wonderful way to get in touch with what is real for you. Yeah. I mean, you're the only person you can control. So it's like, why, why, you know, in some instances, there's these, these thoughts around being a persuader of others. And yes, that comes when you have kind of mastered the understanding of self or at least understand your own patterns, your ups and your downs, right? Um, I'm very passionate about knowing that Edify has certainly been a transformative curriculum for me, but there was there's need for other kinds of curriculums as well. So there are some healing curriculums that we've developed that recognize that for POC, we have some other work that we got to do. There's like some ancestral healing and uh, work in our epigenetics and understanding generational trauma and understanding who we are, historically, relationship that we have to the people around us and the fear aspects. We have a lot of work that we also have to do. What I just shared was a lot of like advocacy work that Mm -hmm. I know would have not worked out had I not done some of my personal healing work. So before I could edify, I was in like a bit of a like, a personal whole of self-discovery. So it was like mm-hmm. as if that identity step was like 55 times larger, right? I was spending time with the like basic self-hatred and navigating my limbic system. And I express myself to myself and understanding my beauty and understanding my meditation practice, like I was deep in that in order to be prepared to start the first Edify, right? Mm-hmm. And I I know that there was some deep work that I needed to do as a person of color or as just like Nicole Johnson. I won't speak on behalf of all people, but I do know that there's some stuff in my generation that I needed to uncover, that I need to like connect with my ancestry, I had to do it in the form of song, lots of ukulele mm-hmm. playing, a lot of like, just adventuring with someone that I had denied a lot 
by being a part of a white supremacist culture. You deny mm -hmm. yourself consistently to be a part of this race. And um, some of us got to spend a lot more time with ourselves to catch up. You know, I'm really happy that I got a chance to catch it before I, you know, before I turned 30. I was like, great. At least I'm not, <laughs> at least I won't do this, you know, this stuff yeah. until I'm 40 or something like that, you know? But it's also, you know, I think in an ideal world also we're consistently growing, you know? So hopefully yeah. this is, you know, a practice that, from where you are now, you're continuing to excavate some more beauty and it, it does it. Maybe yeah. it's not as heavy or maybe the type of heavy just becomes a different type of heavy and then it doesn't feel yeah. as heavy. I mean, it all hopefully morphs. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that is the beauty of being a human on this planet is that that part at least isn't, it, it, it doesn't just it's stick. True. No, it's if you good. Were. Yeah, no, no. I think it's a, it's really, it's a much better lens um, or shift in the narrative to say it like that. Um, there is like, you know, and even just the idea of working through your healing as a black woman, I think there is a sort of self-forgiveness that you have to engage with, right? Because you get to a point in your journey where you're like, what would have been before? And you go through the weird regret stuff, right? For past versions of yourself. And you have to certainly be much more self-compassionate and graceful to know that we are more so in an evolution and that there's no like time lost or anything like that. But that's, you know, it's it's the deep work of being with yourself that you're going to have those thoughts and then you just self-correct for a solution. Like, it's okay. Be yeah. compassionate with yourself, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, those are that's part of another list of five steps that I could give people because I, I do have um, thoughts around how you get to self-correcting in the way that you just helped me to self-correct. Um, but it, that and that's the beauty of this is that like when we're in community with people, you hear another thought that says, oh, yeah, actually shift that narrative, shift that yeah. language. It's really good. Yeah, I I guess that that I want to go there though. You don't have to necessarily share those five steps because people should come and work with all of you <laughs> and get your app. <laughs> yeah, because we're doing a lot. <laughs> no, no, but also like, you know, keep what you need to keep and, you know, save the rest. But um, I do want to talk about that judgment aspect of it. So let's say somebody is like, you know what, I'm listening to this. And I, I do, I wanted to, I wanted to figure out a way for me to learn how to be better. And I'm going to start by say doing these morning pages or reflecting about myself. When one starts to unpack or un unveil some arguably mm -hmm. harder things and realities about one's circle or one's identity or one's biases, what what are some tools that you found to be helpful about like receiving it not as a judgment, but being mm -hmm. able to just be like, this is this is what it is. And therefore now I can make it this, or I can learn for this to, to take up space in a different way that doesn't feel as much of like a self judgment. Yeah. It's the storytelling. I will first start off though, with a good old plug for meditation. I think <laughs> meditation personally is it's a part of the work that we do in Harriet Tubman effect. Um, we have a moment at the beginning of every session like, so no matter who is leading, we all know that we have a moment to take people through a stretch and a meditation. Um, and then we ask people to like bring their hands together and heat to their palms uh, and think about something that either brings some clarity, joy, confidence, courage, and then place their hands on a place where they normally feel stress and kind of like give that to yourself, give yourself mm -hmm. that theme or that, that, um, that lesson 
right? Because you're imagining something and then you offer it to yourself. Um, so that very simple thing is a reminder, ideally, that people will do that. But there's not enough in our brain to hold the judgment and shame and guilt and all those things while you're also doing the work. You have right. to find uh, methods by which you can mitigate and rid yourself of shame. Right. Um, and meditation literally does that for us physically in its neuroscience, right? Like in our ability to have um, additional gray matter. I think there's a part of us that that meditation as a tool is something that I'm really excited to continue to explore, but then it also allows you to step out of the meditation and ask yourself more generative questions, questions that are going to lead you towards additional strength or courage. It takes you on a different route than the day that you didn't do your meditation. It happens to me every single time. I'm all like, mm -hmm. this day, I know the difference between Thursday when I didn't meditate and Friday right. when I did, right? Yeah. And then I know the difference between Saturday and Sunday when I decided to meditate again. There's just this additional space and uh, space in your mind to engage with things that are harder. Um, and sometimes when that judgment comes at you or you feel a sense of self-judgment or being judged, right? Ideally, you're in community where everyone is taking the time to um, open up their brains and their hearts for a more generative line of living so that when you're in a room with someone, you're not exercising judgment and you're also like, no, how about I choose self-compassion today? We have to give ourselves a head start at doing this work. And we gotta know that it's a lot of it is happening in our brain and in our limbic system. So if you can set yourself up for a better day, go ahead and do it. If that means that you need to sit down and have breakfast, that means that you need to do, I have like a little gratitude tree where I put oh, like, cute. I like have a leaf, write something on it. And so this one says, what you're thankful for. I'm thankful for my nail salon. What yes. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> y'all, like, if you tune into the YouTube, you'll see it's like, a, do you, did you make this little gratitude tree? It's like a little no. like wooden crafted. You've like put little leaves on it. I love it. I didn't, I didn't make it. I found it at Target, but uh, nonetheless, it's a, I know we're hoping to have some for Harry Tubman effect that we could send to people like that. Yeah. But when I do my gratitude work, I have like a, a guided book for everyday grace. I go through, I know I'm setting myself up for the opposite of judgment. Right. And then ideally my friends and colleagues are doing the same. So then, then there's no like exercise judgment at me, but then there's also the ability to advocate for yourself and to ask for a shift in the language when it does happen to you. You're in a room and you're feeling this sense of like the way that people are communicating about an instance that might have been embarrassing or an instance that was, you know, um, that you might have made a mistake around a DEI issue or something. And someone is like berating you in a way. It's about the like advocate for myself in this moment. How can I call us all back to our values? How can I? And if there are no values, then it's about asking for some values in the space because everyone yeah. wants to be a bit further. Everyone wants to be more generative. I think we collectively can say we want to be better people, right? So if we can hold ourselves accountable to that in our community and of course ourselves, that's the way to go. Yeah. What about when mistakes are made? I think that's another thing. There's like the yeah. fear around even making them, the fear around even making the mistake prevents people from even doing any of it because they don't want to mess up in the process. Yeah. I have been guilty of that. And I, that's like, so, that's like the thing that I keep 
reminding myself and hopefully like trying to lean into, which is like you are going to fall on your face as you keep trying this and you are going to make yeah. mistakes. What do you recommend in those moments? Yeah. We do, a, you know, honestly, our, our love of grace seems to keep coming up as I think about these questions you're asking me. But we ask people to be courageous mm -hmm. um, and to be daring when it comes to holding yourself accountable and trying new things that you or that are related to shifting systems, right? We're like, go ahead and try it. If your intuition is asking you, if your intuition is saying, hey, but what about, right? Then follow your intuition. Um, and then people don't want to make the mistake because they feel a sense of, you have to like do the, the thing where you um, deduct the reasoning there. It's like, you, you're going to make a mistake and then what people are going to perhaps hate you. People are going to make you feel like you're less than all of the things. And you kind of like go through that list and you have to ask yourself, what is really true about mm -hmm. that? What is true about these 15 things that I'm imagining, right? That I'm using my imagination, which is such a powerful skill. I'm using it to think about all the negative things that are going to happen. How can I use my imagination to think about all the amazing things that could happen if they did? Mm -hmm. If like something was, if something happened positively with your choice to advocate, with your choice to try, right? And I think if there's a lot of fear, so you're just trying to mitigate yeah. the fear there. And that's why grace and compassion is so useful. That's why relationship is so useful. So like, it's much easier for you, Jennifer, who we just met for you to be like, am I going to offend Nicole if I, but if we choose to both engage in the relationship to say, I want to know this person and I'm going to show up and connect with them and then I'm going to learn more about them, then it makes it a lot easier down the road to be like, it's all good. Like yeah. if you make a mistake, you know, you're my girl, you know, we're fine. We can navigate that. Right. I think we are all so afraid because we're so separate from one another. Mm. Um, and if we get a little closer and we choose to be more intentional with the way that we engage with people, I think that it almost eliminates um, that step that would set you up to be fearful about making a mistake. Cause you're like, no, this person's going to understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. I know it. Right. Yeah. You have shared so many gorgeous nuggets of wisdom, but also just tactile tools that um, I I hope, dear listener, um, you go back and perhaps like jot down just even one thing that you feel is tangible to just cultivate, discover, play around with just to start, you know, investigating. I, I'm so grateful to you for that. Um, I would love just to give you the platform for a second and add, and just like share if people do want to get more involved in this yeah. work with all of you or just you specifically, how within your own boundaries is the best way for people to do that? Definitely. Would love to have several of you listening or watching uh, join us in something called our New World program. It's a new world, essentially, that you join of people who are meeting weekly uh, to engage in an accountability practice. I'm glad that that was the word that you were excited about, Jennifer, because mm -hmm. accountability certainly is what we set up in these spaces. There are in-person and uh, virtual opportunities available, plenty of resources. If you are interested in dismantling systemic oppression in your workplace and you want a community of people to join as they are also doing it, the New World Program is for you. Um, lots of ability to track 
your habits and your success. Um, and it's also just fun because you get to hang out with some great people. You can have your job paid for it as well. So that's the one thing I want to really encourage people. And if you're interested in some more intentional work with a contract, or if you are on a contract right now that you think might be interested, you can all reach out to us at info at harrietteppeneffect.com, or you can go to www.harrietteppeneffect.com and click the engage with us button. All of that also, friends, will be in the show notes in case you didn't have a pen and paper handy. Um, I am so grateful that we're now connected. The work that you do is so, so desperately important. And I love the way in which you make it feel accessible um, and doable because, mm-hmm. again, it so often feels so daunting and that we're somehow yes. so behind the curb that how do you even catch up? And to make it feel tangible is the first way in which we can all hopefully push this world into a better place. Yeah. So thank you for making it digestible and approachable and graceful. You've offered that with just simply the way that you've shared it. And it's so evident with the way in which you live and operate in your own life. So I've already just seen that as like a little snippet. So thank you for for showing up in this way. And I hope that we get to work together too. And um, yeah, thank you for all that you are doing and will continue to do. And hopefully our paths will continue to cross. Oh, I'm sure they will. Thanks, Jennifer. Appreciate you. If this podcast means something to you, it would mean the most to us if you would like, follow, rate, and most importantly, review us on Apple Podcasts. This allows us to continue having these types of conversations and reaching fellow ears that want to be listening in as well. If you did not like this episode, just let it all slide. If you are not yet doing so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artists Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artists Collective, and more on our website at EmpoweredArtistCollective.com. If you are seeking some merchandise or you are wanting to be kept more in the loop on our email list, we have both of those links in the show notes. As always, I am so endlessly grateful that you keep on coming back, and we will be back again next week. Until then.